Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Let me welcome you to a 90-minute broadcast that will give you the world and the current events happening in this world, which will help us then to coincide with what God's prophetic scenario is for the end time, and we'll be able to understand how this is all coming together so quickly. We have a number of broadcast partners around the world we're going to be talking with. We've got a couple of very important conversations, timely for today. We're going to be talking with Steve Herzig. He's the National Director of Friends of Israel. We're going to be focusing on Hanukkah, which is a Jewish holy day, an eight-day period of time beginning Sunday evening. So we'll be talking with Steve, how did that all come about? What does it mean for today and what about the future? And then we'll bring to these microphones at my broadcast table Don DeYoung, no kin that we know of, but a very good friend and a great broadcast partner. He's a scientist. He is the head of the science department at Grace College in Winona Lake, Indiana. We're going to be talking with Don about the Mars probe and what's happening there, and global warming, or should I say climate change. I'm not sure which we're supposed to use. We'll find out from Don about that. But right now we want to go to the international scene, a potpourri of events that are happening, political events that may well be setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. The man we do that with is our great broadcast partner, Ken Timmerman, back from France here in the United States. And since last we talked, Ken, there was Thanksgiving. Did you have a great Thanksgiving? Uh, yes, we did. Actually, we went to visit my 101-year-old mother in Hilton Head, South Carolina. It was great. Well, now, you've been working with us for a couple of years. It was, I think, 98, 99, 100, now 101. This lady's going to live forever, isn't she? Uh, yeah, sometimes you think so. It's really a blessing, and uh, she's doing very well. Uh, praise the Lord. Well, praise the Lord for that, too. Let me talk to you about uh, a number of events. We've got a, a long list, uh, pulpourri, so give us some answers that will help us get everything on the table during our conversation. Donald Trump is in Buenos Aires, Argentina. He's there for the G20 conference. It looks like uh, the meeting that was going to take place between he and Putin has been canceled. I don't know. They're changing so quickly. What's the latest? Well, the latest is, as you say, the meeting has been canceled, and it's a, an expression of really disappointment, of disapproval from the White House to Putin over this uh, incident with Ukrainians, blatant military aggression uh, on the part of the Russians. And I think, uh, you know, the president wanted to express, uh, send Putin a pretty strong message that business is not going to be as usual. I need to also talk to you about uh, another focus away from Buenos Aires in the meeting. I guess we'll have to follow up our conversation next week with what they really did say. We don't know quite all that's going to come out of G20 as of today. But what about Iran? And I've got a lot of questions about Iran, different approaches. Seems like Iran and Israel are preparing for a multi-front war, a war on two different fronts. What do we know? Well, this is, again, a story. This is something that's been building up for quite some time. We've spoken about this repeatedly on this show. Uh, the Iranians have stepped up their war of words against the Israelis. They're 
speaking out against them in international conferences. The so-called moderate president, Hassan Rouhani, uh, told an Islamic conference just this week that Iran was a cancerous tumor and a fake regime. These are terms that normally have been used by so-called hardline leaders in Iran and not by the so-called moderates. Now, Rouhani is no moderate, uh, and I've talked to our listeners about that many, many times. Uh, He's as moderate as Joseph Stalin was moderate. Uh, Nevertheless, for him to use those terms in a public conference is significant, and other Iranian leaders have done the same thing. Now, when we say a multi-front war, what are we talking about? We're talking about Iran in Syria, its forces in Syria, which are tens of thousands of Revolutionary Guards fighters, plus tens of thousands more that they have imported from Iraq and Afghanistan and also Pakistan. We're talking about Iran in Lebanon, where they have Hezbollah itself. And we're talking about Iran in the Gaza Strip. That is a way of uh, tangling up Israel on three fronts. Now, don't think for an instant that the Israelis aren't expecting this, that they aren't aware of this. Of course they are. And I believe that their military is far better prepared today than it was in 2006 when the Iranians did a similar trick. Uh, the little hat trick, first uh, a kidnapping in uh, Gaza to the south, and then when the Israelis rushed in with all of their military might, uh, then they kidnapped soldiers in the north in along the Lebanon border, and the Israelis were caught off guard and unprepared. I don't think that's going to happen this time. I think the Israelis are very well prepared. And in fact, they have been involved in a major military exercise just exactly for this scenario. Well, you mentioned Lebanon. Iran seems to be using air freighters who have been routed into Beirut and not into the Syrian air bases for the Iranians. That must be making preparation for the attack from the north. Well, now, this is a very interesting development because uh, the Iranians have not used the Beirut airport for some time, certainly not for weapons deliveries to Hezbollah or to the Syrian rebels. Uh, they've gone in through Damascus and through Syrian air force bases. Uh, what this suggests to me is that they, the Iranians are not quite as secure as they have been in the past of uh, those Syrian air force bases, despite the new Russian-supplied air defense systems there. And they're a little worried about that, and that they, at the same time, they don't believe the Israelis will hit them, uh, will strike their aircraft if they land in Beirut. I think this is a uh, potentially dangerous uh, development for the Iranians, certainly more than Israel. I think the Israelis could indeed hit the Beirut airport. They've not hesitated to do that in the past when they have alleged with uh, factual backup that terrorist activities were being staged through that airport. Just recently, remember, the Israelis had uh, released photographs of uh, missile workshops in the immediate vicinity. I mean, right on the edge of the airstrip of the Beirut airport. So I would not put it past the Israeli Air Force to hit some of those targets in Beirut. And if Iranian uh, cargo jets, these old 747s they've got in their fleet, happen to be on the ground, tough luck. Yeah, that is absolutely the case. Let me stay on Iran. I've got a number of other items to talk about. Iran is now training squads to terrorize United States forces there in Syria. That's pretty serious uptick. Well, so this is part of this overall Iranian braggadocio, Iranian aggressive moves uh, that have accelerated in recent months. Uh, we know they've been on the ground in Syria. We know that they have been watching 
U.S. military forces aiding the moderate opposition, aiding the Kurds. Uh, we've seen all this developing, but so far there hasn't been a great deal of direct contact between U.S. and Iranian forces. This would be very different. What, what we're talking about here is an Iranian-backed guerrilla war campaign against U.S. military bases in northern Syria. We built up the Tanif base, for example, near the Iraqi border, where something like you know a couple thousand U.S. troops are stationed. It's a target. The Iranians have been training uh, guerrilla fighters, terrorist fighters, uh, to uh, use IEDs and, and pretty sophisticated IEDs that, with armor-penetrating warheads uh, against Tanif and against U.S. military forces there. I believe what they're trying to do is to essentially increase the cost for U.S. troops in Syria to force a withdrawal. They have done this repeatedly in the past. This is a classic Islamic regime, uh, Iranian tactic. They did it in Beirut in 1983. I saw it with my own eyes at that time. where They forced us to withdraw from Lebanon by attacking the U.S. embassies and the U.S. Marines. They've done it in Iraq, uh, and now they want to do it in Syria. I, I think, however, that the U.S. military leader, starting with General Mattis, uh, approach this quite differently from military leaders in the past. They're going into this with eyes wide open. They understand what the Iranians are trying to do, and I don't think they're going to put up for it. I think you're going to see pretty strong counterattacks. We've got a lot of naval forces that have recently been dispatched uh, into the Mediterranean off the coast of Syria uh, with a tremendous air capability uh, to respond to any kind of uh, attack that the Iranians might be contemplating. One more item on Iran. The parliament there, the leaders of the parliament in Iran, say that the United States peace plan is a plot to strengthen Israel. Now, we've not seen the plan yet, but uh, that's what the Iranians are doing, a preemptive strike, I guess. Well, I mean, I guess they, they operate a little a little bit like those Democrat leftists in the U.S. Congress, <laughs> where uh, it, it doesn't matter who the president nominates, they know they're going to be against them, yeah. because it's a bad nominee. So, you know, the Iranian parliamentary members, they're no, they're no slouches when it comes to this kind of uh, preemptive uh, prejudging of events to come. Of course they're going to be against any U.S. peace plan, and of course they're going to argue that any U.S. Uh, brokered peace plan for Israel and the Palestinians is going to be uh, against the Palestinians and in favor of Israel and against Iran. I mean, this is just to be expected, Jimmy, but it's, it's always amusing to watch them stretch their vocal cords to say this repeatedly. Just one final quick question, maybe 10, 15 seconds. Erdogan, who is the president of Turkey, calling for a Muslim unity across the world. Yes, Erdogan is again pitching himself as the pan-Muslim leader, the leader of the entire Muslim world. Uh, he is in competition with the Saudis, in competition with the Iranians, but uh, he never stops trying. Never stops trying and will continue on until Bible prophecy is fulfilled. When you look at Turkey in the scriptures, Ezekiel chapter 38, verses 2 and 6, Meshach, Tubal, Gomer, and Tagarma. Well, the reason we bring Ken Timmerman to this broadcast table is to help you understand geopolitical activities. Ken has such great insight into all the issues, helps us to see how God's plan is coming together as current events are setting the stage for it to be fulfilled. Ken, thank you so very much, my good friend. We'll talk again next week. Thank you, Jimmy. God bless. 
Going to take a break right now. We'll bring David Dolan to the broadcast table. He'll give us a Middle East news update. It's upcoming right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. By the way, when you're at my website, go to my Prophecy Bookstore, a special deal for Christmas from Prophecy Today. We have the Prophetic Book Essential 3-Pack. Now, that is great because these three books are essential for your understanding of Bible prophecy. The book of Daniel, the book of Ezekiel, and the book of Revelation. Those are the three books. I have commentaries written on all three of these, the most important books in the Bible prophetically because all other prophetic passages of Scripture dovetail into these three books. Each one addresses God's plan for a different strand of the human family. Daniel for the Gentiles, Ezekiel for the Jews, and Revelation for the Christians. In this special offer, you will receive my studies of these three special books, Daniel, Ezekiel, and Revelation, Daniel, a prophet to the Gentiles, Ezekiel, the man and the message, and Revelation, a chronology normal price, $45. We're going to give it to you for only $30. Let me remind you to buy right now. And by the way, when you're thinking about it, please prayerfully consider making us a part of your end of the year giving. Those who partner with us keep the ministry of Prophecy Today moving forward. To donate your tax-deductible gift, please visit prophecytoday.com dot com forward slash partners or call us at eight prophecy eight that's eight seven seven six seven four three two nine eight and thank you very much Welcome back to Prophecy Today. So glad you could stay with us. Need 90 minutes to give you the entire world as we look at current events in light of biblical prophecy with all of our broadcast partners standing by. After Dave Dolan, who is at the broadcast table right now, Steve Herzig talks about Hanukkah. Don't want you to miss Don DeYoung. We talk about the Mars probe and uh, global warming or climate change, whatever they call it. We'll do that upcoming in the next segment. But right now, let's get uh, to David Dolan with his Middle East News update. I have an agenda to talk to you about, David, but there's breaking news over the last couple of days. Israeli airstrike there near Damascus in Syria. What do we know? Give us some of the details. Well, Jimmy, we haven't had an official Israeli statement on this, so this is coming mainly from Arab media outlets, but also uh, Israeli newspapers are reporting it, that Israel launched three waves of strikes Thursday night beginning about 9.30 in the evening, lasting past midnight, at uh, three different targets in Syria, but especially at Al-Kiswe. Now, that's a town south of Damascus, the capital. It's about 35 miles north of the Israeli border, and that is a known area of Iranian operation. Hezbollah has uh, outfits there, as does the Syrian military. Media reports say that an Israeli jet, a warplane, was struck and brought down. The Israelis did issue a statement saying they have lost no aircraft in any operations without specifically confirming 
that their aircraft were involved in these operations, but it's clear that's what it was. The first time, Jimmy, since September 17th, when that Syrian missile struck a Russian spy plane and brought it down, and the Russians, of course, extremely angry over that, and basically warning Israel to stop attacks. So why this is uh, resuming now is anybody's guess, but we did have confirmation that Iran has begun flying directly, I mentioned this last week, into Beirut Airport. A huge cargo jet was photographed there on Thursday, landing Thursday afternoon, just a few hours before this operation began. The Israelis have been saying that Iran has been farming out their forces to Lebanon and Iraq, reducing them in Syria itself because of these ongoing Israeli strikes that have been taking place for three or four years now. So something changed in the dynamic. We know that the uh, Russian air defense missile system provided to Syria, the S-300, is not yet operational. Originally, it was thought that it had been set up, and the Russians said so, but now we're hearing it won't be till sometime in January that that actually operates. So maybe the Israelis are saying, we have a month or so window here. Others are saying that the situation in Ukraine, uh, which is, of course, preoccupying Russia, they're blockading uh, Ukrainian ships from reaching Ukrainian ports, called an act of war, of course, by Ukraine, that that has gotten so hot that maybe the Russians are looking the other way right now and Israel can, as it were, get away with some more strikes. But the Iranians have been continuously building up their forces at this Al-Qusway base, the Israelis say, and it was inevitable that they would be struck. Other reports, Jimmy said that some aircraft at Damascus Airport had been hit. Arab reports said flames were rising from there, and that uh, missile batteries belonging to Hezbollah had also been hit. So again, we don't have confirmation from Israel on this, or official word from Syria. Syria just said enemy aggression was launched against them. They didn't say it was Israel specifically, but again, it's pretty clear that it was. And, uh, Jimmy, a missile landed, and this was confirmed by the IDF, on the Golan Heights, a Syrian missile landed on the Golan in an open area, they're saying. Press reports said right afterwards all Israeli bases on the Golan went dark. All the lights were turned off, so they apparently thought they were trying to hit some Israeli targets in Israel at proper. So again, a very serious situation, Jimmy, one that could escalate into more direct clashes between Syria and Israel, with, of course, Iran, Russia, and others, uh, Hezbollah, others uh, involved on the sidelines. We'll stay on top of this story with David Dolan, our man who covers the Middle East with all details and insight to events unfolding. But David, what you have just reported leads to my next approach in asking you what's happening. Iran and Israel are both preparing for a multi-front war, and the Israeli Defense Force this last week in a major military exercises for this two-front war with Hamas in the south, Hezbollah in the north. Update that for us. Well, yes, Jimmy. Again, as I've stated, oh, for some months now, the Israelis would prefer to leave Gaza out of it, to just focus on the north and on the situation there. Uh, the Prime Minister stated in September that uh, Israel was watching Hezbollah, building up their forces all over Lebanon in particular, receiving these Iranian shipments to upgrade their missiles to precision-guided missiles from just regular ones that would strike a certain area. Now they can hit within 12 feet of a target, so they could hit in Jerusalem the government buildings accurately, the parliament, 
building, etc. The Israelis are very concerned about that, but they've concluded that Iran is going to bring Gaza into any war that breaks out in the north. Iran will make sure that Hamas and uh, Islamic Jihad are also firing rockets at the same time, attacking Israel as anything going on in the north. And so Israel, as you say, is preparing for that eventuality. They're really saying it is a likelihood. And it looks like, Jimmy, it could be happening very, very soon, and these Israeli airstrikes just might be the opening round of what's coming. But uh, the Israelis have stated all along they cannot just sit and watch Hezbollah and Iran to their north, continuously gaining strength, continuously building up their arms, uh, stating quite openly, as Iran does all the time, that Israel is about to be destroyed. Uh, some of their leaders said that this week again. So the Israelis are preparing for a full war. One of the former defense leaders gave a speech during the week, and he said, you won't be sipping coffee this time in Tel Aviv while fighting's going on on a border. Uh, the war will be everywhere. Missiles will be hitting everywhere. All over the country will be the home front. And, you know, we have to prepare for it. That's been stated for some years now, but it looks like we're on the edge of uh, a major bust-up in the region. Again, it's in the Lord's hands, the timing and all of that, but the pieces are surely all in place, Jimmy, and it looks like it's about to unfold. Prime Minister Netanyahu had an interesting statement as he addressed the elite troops of the Israeli Defense Force uh, there in that uh, major military exercise. He said, Israel and the Israeli Defense Force are the best answer to anti-Semitism across the world, and of course trying to destroy the Jewish state of Israel, the epitome of anti-Semitism. Interesting statement from the Prime Minister. Well, indeed, Jimmy, and it is. What is the reason that Iran is attacking Israel? What has Israel ever done to Iran? I mean, in recent years there's been action, but going back in history, there was no conflict between them. It comes from the fundamentalist Islamic beliefs that the Iranian clerical leaders have, that there cannot be a Jewish state, Jews cannot rule over Muslims, as is stated very clearly in the Quran, and yet uh, Israel rules over several million Muslims in its land, and uh, therefore Israel has to be destroyed. Well, this is anti-Semitism at its core. It goes back to ancient Persia, wipe all the Jews out. It's not a new thing. Of course, repeated during the Holocaust. And here again, we see Iran saying, we're going to kill, and, they, and Ayatollah Khamenei has stated this directly, we're going to kill more Jews in just seconds that were killed in all of World War II. Of course, they don't acknowledge the depth of the Holocaust, but nevertheless, that's quite a statement. So in today's world, with the weapons that uh, we have, this is a possibility, although Probably Iran cannot do that. Probably they don't yet have nuclear capability, which is what it would take. But we don't know that for sure, Jimmy. We don't know that Pakistan, for instance, hasn't given Iran some nuclear weapons or that they were able to buy some on the black market. We know that some Russian missiles went missing in the 1990s and 2000s. So anything's possible, but that's the ultimate anti-Semitism, wipe the Jews off the face of the earth. Let's uh, conclude our conversation just quickly, if you will, with something positive, the anniversary of the death of Eliezer ben Yehuda, the modern-day father of the Hebrew language and a very special man in all of Jewish history. Jimmy, indeed. It was really his desire, his personal desire to see his kids in his home speaking Hebrew, to each other and to the parents, 
he wasn't a native Hebrew speaker himself, but he learned it. And, Jimmy, yesterday I was doing some work around my house. I put on some music in Hebrew. I'm actually singing on the disc. It was produced in Israel some years ago. And I thought, here we are in a modern world singing an ancient language that was dead and is now alive and is now the national language of a country once again. It's revived. It's wonderful. I'm privileged to be able to speak it. And it is, of course, the language of heaven. So you, you better get learning it now, too, Jimmy. Jeremiah 31, verse 23, talks about that being the case. The Hebrew language would come back and be the language in the last days for the Jewish people. David, great insight into all the issues we talked about today on the broadcast. Appreciate you being on top of all of this and informing each and every one of us so that we can understand the times in which we're living. Appreciate it. We'll have another conversation next week. I'm blessed to do it, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break when we come back. Steve Herzig, who's the National Director of Friends of Israel, will be our broadcast partner. We'll talk about Hanukkah and its past significance, presently, how do they celebrate it, and what about the future. All ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Once again, Prophecy Today presents the School of Prophets Conference, December 10th through the 13th at the Spring Hill Suites Hotel, along the shores of the beautiful Tennessee River in downtown Chattanooga, Tennessee. Join Dr. Jimmy DeYoung as he personally walks you through the Bible and helps you discover important prophetic passages from every book of the Old Testament. Dr. DeYoung will also look at the prophetic passages in the New Testament from the book of Acts right through the book of Jude. Dave James will present graphics and PowerPoint design with a special emphasis on teaching aids for pastors and Bible teachers. This course is great for pastors, teachers, secretaries, and IT professionals as you learn basic principles of graphic design focusing on composition, color, typography, and imaging. These meetings are more intimate because they're smaller in nature. There will be time for Q&A with the teachers and fellowship with participants. For more information, call 423-821-3635. Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central, Chattanooga, Tennessee. So glad you could join us for our 90-minute broadcast that helps you understand current events in light of biblical prophecy. Move into our second half hour, Steve Herzig, who is the National Director for Friends of Israel, standing by, wants you to hear our conversation as we discuss Hanukkah, a special Jewish holy day. And in this time of gathering for this half hour of our broadcast, we'll talk next with John Rood, a European Union update. He's in New York City for a prophecy conference. Then we'll go to Don DeYoung. We're going to be talking about the Mars probe and global warming. Or is it climate change? Well, we'll find out from Don when he comes to this broadcast table in a moment. But as mentioned, let's go to Steve Herzig. Steve, we're trying to get you and uh, had a little difficulty. What happened there, buddy? Were you you busy? Uh, Yeah, just a little bit, Jimmy. We at Friends of Israel are delivering Hanukkah baskets to our Jewish friends as Hanukkah is uh, on the horizon. And we bring baskets to them, all with Israeli goods, and just wish them a happy Hanukkah. And I'm telling you, Jimmy, they are so surprised. Uh, First of all, they're surprised that uh, a Christian organization would want to wish them a happy Hanukkah. And secondly, to take the time to specifically buy Israeli goods when we know there's 
a boycott, divestment, and sanctions against Israel. We at Friends of Israel want to make sure we buy from Israel. That's the way to oppose boycott, divestment, and sanctions, BDS, by buying Israelis. It's a wonderful time. They receive it so well, and they just say they've never seen that kind of love expressed before. And, and that's the bottom line, love like that expressed, which helps us then have an entree, an open door, to be able to talk about the true Messiah, Jesus Christ. Well, you brought the subject up I wanted to talk about, Hanukkah, and I want to deal with that so that people understand what it was all about, how it came into a historic fact, and then what about the future and how is it observed today? Let's take a few moments and tell the story. As I remember back, the book of Daniel, chapter 11, verses 21 to 35, give the account of a man named Antiochus Epiphanes. Now, some 360 years before the fact, Daniel the prophet wrote this down in his prophecy in the book of Daniel for the purpose of helping us recognize some of the major world leaders over about a 2,500-year period of time. Antiochus Epiphanes was known as the Madman, and back in 168 B.C., Keslov 25, December the 25th, in fact, on the Jewish calendar, it's Keslov 25, Antiochus Epiphanes came into Jerusalem. Now, you take it from there. What did that crazy madman do? Well, Jimmy, you know, he was having trouble. He wanted to actually attack Egypt, and the Romans rebuffed him. And in his anger, he came against Israel. And he wanted to assimilate them at best, and at worst, annihilate them. And the best way to do that, he felt, was to sanction some laws, pass laws, make laws to make it illegal to practice Judaism. Then he went to the temple, the heart of Jewish worship, and desecrated the temple by killing a pig uh, on the altar. As a result of that, uh, he sent out his soldiers all around Israel to make the leaders in each of those towns compromise their faith by eating pork, slaying a pig. And there was a family by the name of Maccabee. Judah Maccabee was the son, Mattathias was the father. Uh, Mattathias refused when they came to a town called Modin, not very far from Jerusalem, by car, a little bit further if you have to ride a horse. But either way, when he asked for someone to come forward to slay the pig and compromise their faith, Mattathias killed the soldier. His sons rose to the occasion. They wiped out the soldiers and fled to the mountains and began what I think might be the first guerrilla war activity uh, in man, man's war. So they came down, they would attack and go back up into the hills. Most Jewish people at that time were uh, uh, farmers, Jimmy. They weren't interested in fighting. They really didn't know how to do that. And the Maccabees rallied the people and in a three-year period of time turned back Antiochus and his soldiers, got back to the temple, rededicated the temple, and the story is, for the purposes of Hanukkah, the story when I was growing up, very important, that there was only a small cruise of oil left, only enough for 24 hours. And so the people took that oil, put it in the temple menorah, and instead of burning for 24 hours, Jimmy, the story is it burned to eight days, enough time to get the special priestly oil that was uh, sanctioned by the priest, in order to keep that Hanukkah, we call it today the Hanukkah menorah is a Hanukkah, 
to keep that menorah going instead of 24 hours. It lasted eight days. And so to this day, Jewish people light their menorahs one candle each day, and they have a nine-branched Hanukkah that memorializes that miracle. I used to sing about it as a youngster in synagogue. We celebrated it. However, Jimmy, it's not a biblical holiday. And the only reason it's not biblical is because it's an intertestamental holiday. That is, the actual story, 165 B.C., when that took place, as an in-between time, the only time it's written about is in John, because it falls between when the New Testament was written and when the Old Testament was completed. And so John chapter 10 tells us, interestingly enough, Jesus celebrated Hanukkah. Isn't that an interesting thing? Well, it is so very interesting. And just quickly, if you will, tell us about that sinner candle. You said there was eight days, so you have four on one side of the Hanukkah, and then on the other side you have four, but there's one larger candle right in the middle. That represents Jesus Christ, does it not? You know, Jimmy, that's a it's really important question that you ask. Why is there nine candles when there's eight days? And every Hanukkah that I've ever seen, and I'm sure you too, in Israel, they're all over the place. You can purchase them. The one candle has to stand out. It could be higher than the other eight. Uh, it could be in the middle of two fours, like you said. Some artists place it on the side, but it has to be outstanding. The reason for that is the shamus candle, and that's what it's called, is the servant candle. The only way those candles get light, according to Jewish tradition, is through the shamus candle. If you don't have this shamus candle, you're not, you're not supposed to light those candles with a match. It is the servant that provides the light. And so you and I would look at what Jewish people do as they celebrate Hanukkah, and we would say, hey, I remember uh, when my kids went to Sunday school, they would sing a song, This Little Light of Mine, I'm Going to Make It Shine. Well, where, where did we get that little light that we have to hopefully shine? The only way we can get any light to shine is through the light of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that Hanukkah, is, as Christians view what Jewish people do, we can honestly say, look, for us, as we watch you celebrate Hanukkah, we can see Yeshua, the Messiah, providing the light. And what a story that is. And you gave us evidence of what you were doing when we were trying to get a hold of you and have this conversation by visiting Jewish people and bringing them a special gift at Hanukkah, showing your love to the Jewish people. That's the way to communicate Jesus Christ to anybody, but especially Jewish people, through love, right? Jimmy, what you just said, book it, as they say. I couldn't say it any better. (laughs) That's exactly what we ought to be doing. Well, praise the Lord for the conversation and for what you are doing. Friends of Israel, reaching out to the Jewish people of the world, but then honoring the Jewish people as well with their love for these people, the chosen people of God. Happy Hanukkah or uh, Haksameach to you, Steve. Appreciate it. And uh, we look forward to another special Jewish Holy Day when we'll get together again. Thanks, Jimmy. Very interesting conversation with Steve Herzig former Orthodox Jew, now a evangelist, as it relates to reaching out to the Jewish people with the truth about the Messiah, Jesus Christ. 
great. You might want to go back and re-listen to it. It's got some great information about Hanukkah. Right now, we switch to New York City, where we find our broadcaster, John Rood. He is the man who covers the European Union for us. He's in New York. He's speaking on Bible prophecy at a church, and we wanted to grab a hold of him before he had to get involved in his speaking schedule. By the way, John, we'll be praying for you up there in New York, but I think we need to get in, too, before you have to go back and get involved in making preparations for your messages this weekend. We need to look at the European Union and get a update from you so our people listening to this broadcast will get an understanding of how key the region of the European Union is as it relates to Bible prophecy. For example, let me talk about the nuclear chief in Iran coming out and warning there will be consequences If the Iranian nuclear deal breaks down in any way, and I would imagine they're focusing on the European Union membership who seemingly are kind of uh, slow walking their approval or their agreement with this Iranian nuclear deal. What can you tell us? Yes, the uh, Iranian nuclear chief, he has come out with an ominous or even threatening statement saying what would happen if Europe does not follow through on their financial obligations in the treaty. But the treaty now is is not effective. The U.S. pulled out of the agreement, and they have kept their word. They followed through with the oil sanctions. Now Europe doesn't know what to do because they're caught in the middle. They want to continue the business uh, relationships in Iran, but then again, they're going to risk uh, sanctions and from the United States. They really don't know what to do. So they actually, this is interesting, they've actually planned some sort of barter system to get around. Mm. First, The first idea was to take the business dealings with Iran and denominate them in euros rather than dollars. Now they want to add sort of a barter system. Well, that seems to be doomed to failure. Most importantly from this statement from Iran, is it has a threatening tone, and it it continues to show their true intent. They're looking at financial benefits, number one, and they have uh, little intent or remorse about uh, curbing the nuclear development. And so they continue on the same path. They're pressuring the European Union. Yes, and we can better understand now why President Trump pulled out of what he said was the worst deal he had ever seen, the Iranian nuclear deal that was brought about under the Obama administration. Seems like the European Union between a rock and a hard place. But by the way, they are condemning Iran's call for Israel's destruction. So they are standing up to some extent to this threat from Iran. Yes, the Iranian president came out recently in in a statement He actually called the state of Israel a cancerous tumor, a fake regime. And the European Union came back quite strongly and said that this was completely unacceptable. And so they made a statement. They're reiterating their fundamental uh, commitment to the security of Israel, including with regard to current and emerging threats in the region. So there are various factions in the European Union institutions, and there are watchdogs that will hold a, a lookout for these type of things. 
And so even for the European Union, they can draw the line. Iran is sort of a very pressured, acting out of the pressure to keep this deal, which has been uh, disregarded, which has now been pulled out. The deal's not there any longer. Europe does not have an obligation to do it. But then they want everyone to keep the obligation while they make the nuclear development, which was the whole point of the deal in the first place. Yeah, very good that the EU then has actually called this out and said it was unacceptable, the criticism of Israel. Well, indeed, those two stories do go together as it relates to this nuclear deal and the European Union's relationship with Iran. By the way, I read a poll, John, that said a third of Europeans say that Jews have too much political influence. What do you know about that? In Europe, there's a number of polls, and they've been very helpful. The statement is from Europe that one-third are actually of the opinion that Jews are too politically influential in Europe, which seems to be very surprisingly and alarmingly high. But in addition, there was another statement, which I I personally found just shocking. 20% of European youths and young adults, 18 to 34 years old, have never heard of the Holocaust. Hmm. So I don't even see how such a situation can be possible. But you see what their focus is. There's a lot of propaganda in Europe. There's a lot of party lines to tow. There is an uphill battle right now with anti-Semitic attitudes throughout the European Union. Well, indeed, probably the reason there's so many European Jews who are making their way into Israel, making Aliyah. By the way, we better check on Brexit before I let you go. Tony Blair, former Prime Minister of Great Britain, saying that Theresa May's plan for Brexit is a bad plan, and he, Tony Blair, is calling for another referendum. Do you think that'll ever happen? This is, this is a funny situation. You know, every situation comes where the main players can wedge in their preferred narrative. Tony Blair has always been a supporter of a new referendum, the EU is even threatening, saying the deal that, that Prime Minister May has, has put forth, it's either that deal or we could even cancel Brexit. Imagine, and how can you do that? You say that's not legally possible. Well, they're very creative in their approach to things, and they can might find a way. So to add to the confusion is an advantage of the European Union's position and control. Tony Blair, you know, he's shooting for a new referendum. To do that would be gaining support through the Labor Party. So he gains um, political points from, from being able to do that. Does it seem possible? I think the timing is very, very short. It looks difficult. But the thing is, is that they're working on, on projecting their own agendas here. And now it's the, it's the end game in terms of Brexit. We see that there's polls of uh, how this will hurt the government, but they used old data, and uh, they have not been accurate in the past. So this is something really to be prayerful about. Brexit is probably the largest happening in Europe of the last uh, decades. And so the enemy, he's interested to control people, goods, services, or whatever. This is the largest bringing together in recent history. So we want the right influence from God. Absolutely. And if you've been listening, you've heard me talking about political activities as it relates to the European Union, which, of course, leads to prophecy. 
the fulfillment of the revival of the Roman Empire, rise of Antichrist from that region of the world, etc. John, thank you so very much. We'll be praying that you have great meetings there in Manhattan in New York, and we'll be looking forward very much to talking to you again next week. Thank you so much, Jimmy. John Rood giving us the political so we can better understand how the prophetic will be fulfilled according to God's prophetic scenario for the end times, especially in relationship to the revival of the Roman Empire. Well, I'm going to my namesake, Dr. Don DeYoung. We don't know that we're kin, but he's a good-looking, very brilliant guy, so we must be kin, or I hope we are kin, so I can get some of his good looks and brain power. But he works as a scientist. He's head of the science department at Grace College there in Winona Lake, Indiana, written a number of books, travels, and speaks in conferences. Uh, Really an astronomer. I've got his book on astronomy, all the questions and answers that anyone should need to know. It's available at our bookstore if you'd like to purchase it. Our bookstore located on our website, prophecytoday.com. Well, Don, it's great to talk to you, and I had to get you on the line because of what's been going on. First of all, the situation about uh, global warming and climate change. But I want to first talk with you about the Mars landing, the exploration that is being taken right there way out in outer space, uh, sponsored by the United States and their efforts to find out what's happening in Mars itself. That's quite an interesting challenge that seems to be going pretty well at this time, doesn't it? Well, it does. Thank you, Jimmy. Uh, Yes, this latest um, uh, probe to Mars called InSight after a seven-month trip, and it sounds like it's uh, very successful so far. Well, it's great, but I need to ask, one of the things they seem to be so much concerned about is that uh, they want to see if they can find water on Mars. Why is that so important? I know there's a lot they want to learn, but why is water so important? Well, yes, water seems to be the key to life. It's certainly uh, essential on Earth. And so there's this assumption that if you can find water elsewhere, that life might uh, arise from that. It is interesting that in this probe, uh, for the first time in a while, we're not hearing a lot about the search for aliens, for Martians. Instead, they're looking at the planet Mars itself, and their question is um, how it got to be there, the origin of that planet. Now, when they find out the origin, they were not going to come to the same conclusion that you and I would uh, when Jesus on the fourth day of creation put all the stars, the planets, the sun, and the moon out there. Uh, they're going to think it's billions and billions of years ago, are they not? Well, that always is the case. And this thing called the uh, nebula theory that planets form from dust or gas clouds, that still seems to dominate. And so uh, with this probe, they'll be uh, actually digging into the surface of Mars, seeing what's underground. They're looking for heat flow. They're looking for vibrations. I guess we would call those Mars quakes. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're going after the origin of that planet. Now, we well know that it's on day number four of creation when uh, space is filled, the sun, moon, stars, and uh, the other planets as well. So, uh Uh, What they will find, however, are details on uh, uh, just how Mars is put together, just showing the complexity, the details of creation. Well, would it not have been easier and less expensive 
they'd have just picked up a Bible and read the account of how it all happened. That leads me to the real question, why is this tour, this probe you're talking about, so key to the United States and actually to the rest of the Earth as well? Well, looking for similarities between the uh, planet Earth and Mars would be the key because Mars is the most Earth-like place. There are some interesting parts to this probe, uh, Jimmy. Uh, We have realized that Mars has no magnetic field. Hmm. The one on the Earth actually protects us from space radiation, and so they want to research that, why Mars does not have this invisible shield, this protection like the Earth has. So without knowing it, they're really looking at some uh, details on how the Earth is especially created for us. Well, we could probably continue our conversation about Mars. It's so interesting. Even what you've said has given us great insight already. But I want to focus on global warming and climate change. By saying that, let me ask you first to define, is there a difference between global warming and climate change? Which of the terms are key and what's the difference? Well, the name global warming has kind of uh, put on, been put on the side, I guess because it, was, it raised a lot of red flags. Climate change simply says uh, that the world's climate does change over time, either getting warmer or cooler. So climate change is just more general, more generic, as uh, the experts would think, than that it's more um, acceptable language. When you say experts, you must be talking about scientists, and I'm really wondering if science is truly helping us to understand global warming or, as they want to refer to it, climate change. Well, the challenge is there are certainly different sides to this issue. The basic question of whether temperature change is caused by people or not. And the problem today, those who are radical, that are looking for... um, Well, they're looking for government funds. Mm -hmm. But what they're saying is that it's all people-caused and we must do something about it. These are the people that seem to have control. Those who uh, dismiss the idea that people are causing climate change, they are just put on the shelf and they are not uh, being published. So it's um, a very uh, militant group that is getting the publicity on this whole issue. Well, you're a scientist. Tell me, is it scientific what we're talking about? Well, Jimmy, we do seem to be on the front edge of a, of a slight increase in the world's temperature. Uh, some places, temperature going up slightly, some down, always less than a degree. My position is that the world's climate is always changing. It's always making adjustments, and there are lots of factors, the ocean, the sun, etc. In the past, the Earth has been warmer and it's been cooler. And so what we are seeing today is not a one-time event. It's certainly not the end of civilization like some people seem to uh, be suggesting, but it's always making adjustments. I'll tell you what surprises me, Jimmy, is how little the climate does change. In the last hundred years, our population of the Earth has doubled and doubled again, and yet the worldwide temperature seems to change by one degree or less. Hmm. It shows a strong integrity that God has built into nature to uh, adjust for mankind. Well, that just takes me right back to the Word of God. Book of Colossians, when you look at uh, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, by him, in verse 16, all things were created. And then verse 17, also by him, he controls everything. That's pretty key. God's Word really is speaking to the issue, isn't it? 
Exactly. These laws that God has established, whether it's gravity or climate and all those details, God upholds those. Certainly, if he would turn his back on this world, we would have instant chaos, but it's, it's in his hands. And, of course, over in Genesis chapter 8, it tells us that cold and heat, summer and winter, will not cease. And there you start with the beginning of the Bible in Genesis and Revelation. It talks about a seven-year period called the Tribulation Period, and there will be a lot of ecological judgment during that time so that the Lord then can have a submissive earth and a earth dwellers to be able to come back and rule over, right? Well, certainly, yes. The Tribulation events, when God puts his hand on what's going on. It talks about the sun getting hotter, scorching people, and then it talks about the sun getting colder as well. God controls that outcome, and uh, yeah, that's an interesting future. We are always thrilled, Don, to be able to have a conversation with you. We think that when the scientific world says something out there about whatever's going on, it's an absolute. But God's Word is the only absolute, and it's a joy to be able to talk to a scientist who is a born-again, Bible-believing Christian and can help us look at what's happening in our world from a biblical perspective. Don, thank you for the conversation. Have a great weekend. We'll talk again soon. Thank you, Jimmy. Great information from Don DeYoung. And boy, that was exciting what he gave us in detail about the scientific approach to understand what's happening in our world. We're going to take a break, and when we come back in our last segment, I'll have a conversation with David James. We're going to be talking about evangelicals meeting with Islamic leaders. That's all ahead, right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to this third half hour of Prophecy Today weekend. So glad to have you along. David James will come Mike's side at the broadcast table. In a moment, we'll have a discussion on evangelicals getting involved in meeting with Islamic leaders around this world, the leaders of Islamic nations wanting to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. You do not want to miss that conversation. By the way, I would love for you to answer our poll question. You can go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go on the home page on the left-hand column, scroll down, you'll find the poll question, which is this, as Jews around the world celebrate Hanukkah, the account of Antiochus Epiphanes, and the abomination of desolation, as recorded in Daniel chapter 11, verses 21 to 35, could Antiochus Epiphanes be a prototype of the Antichrist and that desecration of the temple, the abomination of desolation, which was also spoken of by Jesus in Matthew 24, verse 15, could both of these be about to appear on the world scene today? Antichrist and the abomination of desolation. Again, go answer that poll question front page of my website, prophecytoday.com. Scroll down on the left-hand side. 
By the way, this is the end of the year month coming up in December, and we are very concerned about how we could finish this year. We need about $50,000 to bring us to a positive side of the ledger, and we would so appreciate your prayerful consideration of helping us do that. Your end-of-the-year giving will give you the credit you need in your income tax situation. We would just love for you to prayerfully consider how you might help our ministry to reach the world with the truth of the soon coming of Jesus Christ. Be very helpful if you would join us. If you want to do that, go to prophecytoday.com forward slash Partners, P-A-R-T-N-E-R-S. That's prophecytoday.com forward slash partners, and there you can donate. And while you're on the website, make sure you go to our bookstore, some great prices for Christmas shopping there at Prophecy Today as well. We now bring to these microphones David James. David travels all around the world. Do you know he does because we talk about it here on this time, every single week on Prophecy Today weekend, we get together for a conversation dealing with an issue that may be of great concern to the body of Christ, to the church. And this week, we catch David doing what he does almost all the time. He's teaching at a Bible institute, actually the one he started in Hungary some 25 years ago. David, over the past few weeks, there has been a lot of news coverage of the death of Washington Post columnist Jamal Khashoggi. Last month, that happened in the Saudi Arabian consulate there in Istanbul, Turkey. What can you tell us about Khashoggi first before we get to some of the areas of concern about some developments since his death? As many of our listeners and probably most of our listeners know, he went into the Saudi Arabian consulate, actually in Istanbul, Turkey, as you mentioned, on October 2nd. So we're pushing two months ago now, and this has been in the news. He was actually seeking routine paperwork that he needed to marry his fiance. He was still, as far as I know, he was still a Saudi Arabian citizen, but he had become a resident and almost an exile in the U.S. and a reporter for the Washington Post. He really wasn't highly known around the world until this did become an issue. And uh, one of the main reasons that it became an issue, or a couple of the main reasons, is that Saudi Arabia is one of the United States' strongest allies in the Middle East. They haven't taken an extremely hard line against Israel, which is one good thing, and they also, being Sunni, they have taken a hard line against Iran and its desires for nuclear development. So that's been important. One interesting thing is he actually studied at Indiana State University, which is actually in my current hometown, and he abandoned his life in Saudi Arabia because he had been very pro-Saudi government for a long time, but then he began to be somewhat critical of the Saudi government uh, over the years, and many people believe that is what ultimately led to his death at the hands of Saudi operatives. And a lot of people think that the uh, crown prince of Saudi Arabia was actually knowledgeable and perhaps even directive uh, concerning his death. 
David, one of my concerns has been that there have been at least some evangelical leaders who seem to have some connection with the Trump administration who are actually getting involved, jumping into the fray on this whole issue. What are your thoughts? Well, it's it's not only this issue. It's actually on a multiple number of fronts that we probably need to just briefly discuss. There are a number of evangelical leaders that, in fact, some of Trump's most devoted supporters, according to some sources, who have met in recent months with other Middle Eastern leaders. For example, they met with the President of the United Arab Emirates. There was a delegation made up of evangelical leaders from the United States, and we'll be talking about a few of those names here in just a few minutes. And then they also went from the United Arab Emirates over to Saudi Arabia. I believe that was actually even before this issue with Khashoggi. But we have talked about this before on this program, is our concern about a merging of the political right with the religious right. And I'm somewhat concerned, uh, and again, we'll talk about this in a moment as well, that this is not necessarily going to end well. And I'm concerned that perhaps that some evangelicals may be being used as uh, political puppets in this really huge geopolitical chess match that is the Middle East. Well, David, let's uh, take a few minutes to talk about those who are involved with these discussions with the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia. According to the Washington Post report, this U.S. delegation of evangelicals was led by the fairly well-known writer and journalist Joel Rosenberg. That's true. I read that same report, and he was accompanied by former Congresswoman uh, Michelle Bachman, another man named Jerry Johnson, who is a president and chief executive of National Religious Broadcasters. He was with Michael Little, who is former president and chief operating officer of the Christian Broadcasting Network, a fairly well-known man, Mike Evans, we'll talk about here in a moment, I believe. And there were several others along with him. So this was, this was actually following the apparent murder of Khashoggi. So There have been several things going on along this line, and again, it's almost as if that, on the one hand, I understand that they are trying to secure freedoms and more freedoms for Christians throughout the region, yet at the same time, there also seems to be a sense in which they are functioning as envoys almost and ambassadors for the Trump administration. So I think there's quite a blurring of lines here that is making things very confusing at the geopolitical level and for Christians, both in the United States as well as, I would say, pastors and believers in the Middle East region. Well, let me just rehearse those names we've already talked about again, and then I want to ask you a question. We've talked about Joel Rosenberg leading the group, Mike Evans, Johnny Moore with the Southern Baptist. He was also involved. Michelle Bachman, you mentioned a couple of others there. What can you tell us about them and their involvement in this meeting? Well, one of the people that I'm most concerned about in the in the involvement, I would say, I would focus on, on Mike Evans because he seems to have the most influence as a writer and as a journalist 
he was quietly told, according to one report, he was quietly told first in Israel by a former high-level member of Mossad, which is the uh, secret service there in Israel, that the crown prince of Saudi Arabia actually approved the mission to arrest Khashoggi, and he almost ended up defending the whole thing and compared it to a situation with Adolf Eichmann, who was a, a Nazi, a war criminal, and they tried to get him out of the country, and they, he ended up dying accidentally. And then, in this report that I read, Mike Evans apparently was trying to say that the Saudis inadvertently killed Khashoggi by accidentally giving him an overdose of uh, something that would have knocked him out, and then they panicked. Then they ended up killing him. And, and, and so what you have is a very, I just think evangelicals are getting very deep, and especially someone like Mike Evans, who uh, is, is a man that needs to be watched. But then when you bring in others like Johnny Moore from the Southern Baptist Convention. I mean, we're talking about some of the top evangelical leaders in the world getting deeply involved in geopolitical politics with the Republicans, with the Trump administration, and I'm just deeply concerned about how all this is unfolding. And I think every believer needs to be aware of what's going on. And not only should I think that they should be aware of what's going on, but I know for a fact that you at one time were looking at getting into politics Politics, and you had some very specific reasons based upon some advice that you had received that that was probably not the best use of your time and that you should focus on the gospel. Well, at the time, actually, thank you for mentioning that. So this would give me a great opportunity to speak to this issue. At that time, I was a preacher traveling around America and the nations of the world preaching the gospel to young people, adults, anybody that would sit still for a moment and listen to what I had to say. But then I got involved in the political arena. I ran for school board in Scroon Lake when I was working with Word of Life. That kind of tweaked my interest in politics. I was invited to come to Washington, D.C., met with then-Congressman Jack Kemp and others, and thought this was God's plan for my life. As I continued to have my quiet time, David, with my wife and I talking and praying together, I realized that I was called to be a preacher. I wanted to do the first thing first. In other words, I wanted to lead people to Jesus Christ, build into their life, help them grow in the Lord, and be a part of the body of Christ in these the last days. And I also realized I'll be at the judgment seat of Christ. Right after the rapture, we go to the heavens. I stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And I wanted to be able, this is not to determine lost or saved. Only saved people go to the judgment seat. But I wanted to be able to stand before the Lord and say, look at all the laws I had passed, Jesus. Instead, I'd rather look at him and say, you allowed me and filled me and empowered me to work in the hearts and lives of many people. And that's what the Lord is going to count as what he looks at me being a success in his plan for my life. That's what I was really concerned about. So thanks for asking. I hope that'll be a, a blessing. I'm not saying that Christians cannot run for office. I think they should, but maybe preacher men ought to reconsider. Well, David, uh, one of our biggest concerns about this process is this increasing merging and blurring of lines between the political right in this country and the religious right. It seems that this is ultimately going to lead to some significant problems if we aren't very careful to keep the two separate. 
Well, and I would agree with you. I think if you're going to be a politician, be a great politician as a believer, but if you're going to be a minister of the gospel, which most of these people are, keep your focus. Don't lose your focus on that. Let the politicians do their work and keep your focus on preaching the gospel. And if you mix the two, you're going to end up with theological compromise, you're going to end up with political compromise, you're going to end up with moral compromise, and it's simply going to lead to confusion both in the Middle East as well as in the United States. And I think we need to be very, very careful that we we are very clear and we are very focused in the jobs that the Lord has given each of us to do. Good word to the body of Christ, David. Keep the first things first. That's indeed how I made the decision to get where I was supposed to be in the Lord's plan for me in my life, and that would be teaching and preaching the gospel and talking about the soon coming of Jesus Christ. David, great conversation, great insight we were able to bring to the table. Thank you so much for your research into this issue. We'll take another issue on next week. Thanks so much, Jimmy. Great to be with you. We're going to take a break, and when we come back after the break, I'm going to take a look at the book, open my Bible, and put everything together, especially as we focus on the Jewish holy day of Hanukkah. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Have you ever wanted to visit Israel and trace the footsteps of Jesus? Hi, I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr., and along with VCY America, I'm excited to announce our upcoming trip March 13th through the 22nd, 2019. Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. We're going to look at Israel past, present, and future. The Bible will come alive as you see places such as the Shepherd's Fields, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time not only to visit the site, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today, 423-821-3635, to find out more about our VCY America Prophecy Today Israel trip, March 13th through the 22nd. Once again, Prophecy Today presents the School of Prophets Conference, December 10th through the 13th at the Spring Hill Suites Hotel, along the shores of the beautiful Tennessee River in downtown Chattanooga, Tennessee. Join Dr. Jimmy DeYoung as he personally walks you through the Bible and helps you discover important prophetic passages from every book of the Old Testament. Dr. DeYoung will also look at the prophetic passages in the New Testament from the book of Acts right through the book of Jude. Dave James will present graphics and PowerPoint design with a special emphasis on teaching aids for pastors and Bible teachers. This course is great for pastors, teachers, secretaries, and IT professionals as you learn basic principles of graphic design focusing on composition, color, typography, and imaging. These meetings are more intimate because they're smaller in nature. There will be time for Q&A with the teachers and fellowship with participants. For more information, call 423-821-3635. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. I want to remind you of the broadcast partners who came to this broadcast table and helped me and then you as you eavesdropped 
on the conversation to look at current events in light of biblical prophecy. Some very important information and very informative reports from the broadcast partner. We need these reports, if you're a student especially of Bible prophecy, to see how current events is indeed setting the stage for the prophetic scenario to be fulfilled. And by the way, you can listen to what they had to say or re-listen, and be sure to tell a friend about these conversations. Ken Timmerman and I talked about President Trump and President Putin of Russia canceling their meeting at the G20 conference there in Argentina. For these two world leaders, leaders of major nations and superpowers of the world getting together, you'll have to hear what Ken says about that meeting that was canceled. And then David Dolan gave us a Middle East news update, talked about the Israeli airstrikes on Damascus. That is a part of Bible prophecy. Isaiah chapter 17 reveals that Damascus will be destroyed. Now, this was not that fulfillment of that prophecy, but it is a precursor to it. Steve Herzig brought the story of Hanukkah, the Jewish celebration of the Feast of Lights or the Feast of Dedication. We look at the past, we look at the present, and we look at the prophetic as it relates to Hanukkah. John Rood had our European Union update. We talked about Iran, who was threatening the European Union on the nuclear deal. If they don't bring it together, there are going to be dire consequences. Well, Iran, a major player, book of Ezekiel chapter 38 and verse 5, mentioned as Persia, that is modern-day Iran. Don DeYoung came to this broadcast table. We talked about the Mars probe and the significance of that and how Mars even came into existence. You need to understand that. And then I asked Don to give us a definition of global warming and climate change, which is the one that everybody's talking about. Don't miss that conversation with Don DeYoung. David James and I had a very important issue to deal with. We were talking about in our weekly conversation, evangelicals meeting with Islamic leaders around the world, leaders of the Islamic or Arab nations. These evangelical leaders in these meetings, wondering if they're giving the gospel, to a satanic religiosity. Well, you have to listen to what David James and I had to say in our conversation. You can do that by going to prophecytoday.com, PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, and then if you get a chance to listen to it, you like what you heard, call a friend, tell them to listen. It'll be very informative for them. Let's now take a few moments and look at Hanukkah. On Sunday evening at sundown, and for the next eight days until the following Monday, Hanukkah, a very special Jewish holy day, will be observed by the entire Jewish world. They will get together as a family. They will light eight candles, one each night, for the eight days of Hanukkah. Remember what happened in 168 B.C. on Keslov 25. That was the time that Antiochus Epiphanes attacked the temple, desecrated the temple by killing a pig on the altar and then throwing its innards of the pig all over the temple complex. Well, that desecrated the temple. That was in 168 B.C., Keslov 25, which on the Christian calendar is December the 25th. 
The temple was desecrated, and Tychus Epiphanes rose up and told the Jews the only time that they could worship in the temple was when they would slaughter a pig on the altar, just a terrible time. However, the Maccabees, a priestly family, rose up. Matthias Maccabee, who was the head of that family, rose up with his sons, Judas Maccabee, one of them, and they decided to try to use guerrilla tactics in a warfare to take Antiochus Epiphanes and his army and get them out of the nation of Israel there in the Middle East. They were successful, and then they went over to the temple for the purpose of reconsecrating the temple. They first walked into the temple on the Temple Mount there in Jerusalem. They cleaned the temple up. They got all the furniture back in place, the table of showbread, altar of incense, and the menorah. They then needed to light the menorah, did not have any virgin olive oil to do that until they found one flask of virgin olive oil. That was enough oil for one day to keep the menorah lighted. However, it stayed lighted for eight days. Well, today a Jewish family gets together. They have their menorah with one extra candle in it for the purpose of being able to light each of the eight candles with the center candle, the Shamus candle, which would represent Jesus Christ, and the other eight they lighted for the purpose of celebrating the Feast of Lights, the Feast of Dedication. Remember, Jesus Christ observed Hanukkah there in John chapter 10 and verse 22. You must also remember that 26 times in the Gospel of John, Jesus is referred to as the light of the world, a very important connection between the coming of Jesus Christ and Hanukkah. As you think about Hanukkah, it's a major focus on the activities of Antiochus Epiphanes, who was a prototype of the Antichrist. And in addition to that, desecration of the temple was done when they slaughtered a pig on the altar. That is a prototype for the abomination of desolation. You cannot forget that when the Jews are back in the land, when they build that tribulation temple, the Antichrist will come out of Rome, Italy, enter Jerusalem, go into the temple, and claim to be God. That's the abomination of desolation, as spoken of by Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 15. Now, who was that that desecrated the tribulation temple? Well, that was Antichrist who is ultimately the prototype of Antiochus Epiphanes and what happened there at the first Hanukkah back in the book of Daniel chapter 11, verses 21 to 35. You understand that Hanukkah is a prototype of the end times, the tribulation period, the temple on the Temple Mount, and the abomination of desolation after the appearance of Antichrist, which is basically setting the stage for the rapture of the church to take place because the rapture takes place before all of these prophecies are fulfilled. And when I say that rapture, I'm talking about an event that can happen at any moment, maybe even today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Thank you.